Welcome all. Happy March. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's NICPEED APE Collaborative. We're so excited to have everyone. Oh, wow. Okay. Big rush of everyone coming on. Welcome, welcome. Um, this month is set up a little bit different than previous. Uh, we have a panel of experts in the field of APA joining us today. Uh, additionally, we'll, we'll introduce the NICP president, Dr. Michelle Grenier, and she'll introduce the panel. But I guess before then, I want to say thank you for everyone who's been joining us for these collaboratives. Last month, we had, oh, I just pulled it up. It was nearly 500 people, 487 uh, people viewed on Facebook the last collaborative with Danielle Musser and uh, Rebecca Lytle, who talked about grant funding in APE APA. And we're excited today to talk more with our APA friends internationally. So without further ado, Professor Emeritus, from New Hampshire University and NICP president, Dr. Michelle Grenier. Thank you so much for leading and moderating this panel today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Melissa. Welcome everybody. Pleased to be here. This, is, this was an opportunity that came about um, my good friend Aya and Kwok who are um, involved in the International Federation both as president and vice president of UCAPA as well. I thought about them several months ago. I'm like, you know what? Let's broaden our perspective. Let's think about just exposing and uh, recognizing the work that we do internationally, particularly since we did have not had the opportunity to meet face to face. So although Nick Pete is primarily involved with national events, it's a uh, part of who we are as educators, and many of you have been to UCAPA or ASAPA. And so again, it was let's just mix it up a bit and let's expose our, our colleagues to what's going on across our borders. So today's schedule is just about what's going on with physical education in both a North American context and European context. And I'll have each of the presenters introduce themselves. So one of the things that has happened uh, since we decided on this collaborative four or five months ago is we've had a war that's now going on. And uh, as you all know, in the news, and I had the opportunity several years ago to work with Aya and Latvia, and this is a conference in Lithuania with our Ukrainian colleagues. And so having uh, been deeply touched by that, and I'm sure Aya and Kwok feel, feel the brunt of this much more, um, we, it just, brought to light how we are all one family, according to, you know, Claudine Cheryl would always talk about that. And so we wanna support our colleagues internationally. I know folks in Poland are supporting their colleagues in Ukraine, as well as our friends in Latvia. So it's just a recognition that although NICPED is a national organization, we are deeply entwined with our colleagues uh, across our borders and just a recognition to that, thanks. Great, so NICPED has really moved forward thanks in large part to our membership subcommittee. And we have a talented group here. Um, we have Amanda, we have Scott, we have Heidi, Melissa, and Lainey. And 
we wouldn't be where we are without our NICPEED membership committee. I, as president, am internally grateful for what they do, both on social media and on Facebook, and just allowing, enabling, encouraging, facilitating these collaboratives, among other things. So kudos to our young faculty who just keep things moving and shaking. And thank you very much to the membership committee. Melissa did a nice job introducing myself. I retired last year from the University of New Hampshire, and uh, thankfully, Scott McNamara is now there. So happy and thrilled that he is um, he is at the university doing great things. Um, also president of NICPED, which has been a wonderful opportunity to meet colleagues both within this country and abroad. So very grateful for that opportunity and what we're doing and also teaching at the University of South Carolina right now because I just couldn't stop, I had to keep going. So that's who I am. Haley. Hello everyone, nice to meet you. My name is Haley Morrison. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And thankfully I was introduced to Michelle recently from a colleague, Dr. Nancy Spencer over in the kinesiology faculty at my university. Um, but I'm situated in our faculty of education and come from you um, as a teacher, consultant and researcher working in health, physical education and inclusion. So it's nice to meet you all. Hi everyone. Yeah, it's me, Aya Klavinia. Uh, so I'm professor at the Lithuanian Sport University, signed two years ago, and a chief researcher or senior researcher at the Latvian Academy of Sport Education. And also in my free time, I'm a president of European Federation of Adapted Physical Activity. And as Michelle said, uh, last three years, I was coordinating uh, a large European funded project to build new physiotherapy programs in Ukraine. And this was supposed to be last month of our project. And uh, so now we are dealing with uh, helping our colleagues uh, in Ukraine and uh, trying to stay in touch with them. And facing a lot of challenges and hopefully this mess will be over soon and we will help and promise my colleague from Lviv who is actually now residing in a university of our partner in in, a, in Warsaw I promise that we will build uh, more and more new physiotherapy programs in future in Ukraine so I now I told everyone and I have to keep my promise in future <laughs> thank you Aya um, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Kwok. I'm based at both the University of Limerick and the University of Eastern Finland, and I hold the title of docent in health promotion and adapted physical activity. I'm also the vice president of UFAPA, so I work quite, quite, quite much with AYA, as well as I'm vice president of IFAPA, and that being the International Federation of Adapted Physical Activity. So we just hosted the ISAPA, although it was online. I was part of that group there and looking forward to the next one going forwards, as well as running some of the communications for both these federations. So any volunteers that want to help with that, please get in touch. Happy to have you all on board. It's quite a lot of work to do. But anyway, that's that's me for now. Great. Thanks for the invitation. 
Okay, so thank you, Kwok. Thank you, everybody, all of our presenters. Just if you have some questions or comments, please feel free to put them in the chat. We will we want to have time at the end of by quarter of the hour so that we can enable folks to share, to exchange thoughts. Um, great opportunities, as I mentioned earlier, to interact with our international colleagues. And for all of you, it's just a wonderful way to, you know, be connected to our larger universe. So again, we want to allow time at the end for folks to ask questions and to interact and find out what's going on. So part of this collaborative really came about um, working and looking at well, what is going on with physical education for our students with disabilities. And as we know, within the United States, it's quite varied, but also across European borders, international borders, it's a very different experience, the way it's conceived, constructed, and delivered. And so just this APE collaborative was designed to just take a look at the different systems that are governing physical education for students with disabilities. And hopefully by the end, you'll have gained some perspective of what is going on, but probably walk away with a few more questions, which is always the case with what we do. And we are, we have a global statement that addresses physical education and physical activity for individuals with disabilities. The Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities refers to physical activity as a right for all children with educational within educational institutions to provide, it, provide it opportunities to experience full and effective participation. And essentially what this means is everybody should have the right and should have access to physical education and physical activity. So this is something that unites us all. And as we'll see, it, it plays out quite differently wherever you are. Okay, we're gonna start with the United States. We have, I have a few slides. And for those of you from the United States, you'll recognize most of this information is, pre, is familiar to you. And then we're gonna move on to Canada for North American context, and then Latvian and Finland context, which doesn't cover all of Europe, but gives a snapshot of what's going on in some part of our European countries. Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, very important. It emerged from civil rights, uh, the civil rights legislation. So essentially what is stated in IDEA is that physical education services must be made available to every handicapped child receiving a free and appropriate education. Again, this language is taken from the 70s. Um, however, it was it's put in place to ensure that our students has physical, have physical education. Prior to that time, we had students excluded from schools and excluded from programs. So, and again, some of the disabilities that these are the disabilities that are defined under IDEA, autism, deaf blindness, deafness, emotional disturbance, hearing impairment, intellectual disabilities, multiple disabilities, orthopedic impairments. OHI, specific learning disabilities, speech or language impairment, traumatic brain injury and visual impairment and blindness. And collectively, these are also disabilities that are addressed within across borders. So how we determine a student is eligible, assessments, um, observation, we want standardized assessment how they fall below the norms of what's going on. So there is a protocol 
for determining whether a student is eligible for adapted physical education services. But they're gonna remember each child is required to have physical education. So there is evaluation tools and assessment tools that support uh, providing the appropriate physical education to students with disabilities. We're a big country. <laughs> And so it's, I live in New Hampshire, which is only 1 million people versus New York City, which has many millions of people. Um, and so each state, uh, some have uh, requirements for APE services provided by a certified adapted physical education teacher. Others, a general physical education teacher can provide those services. But across the country, and in my work now, I'm teaching at the University of South Carolina, and it's an online master's program. I've got students from California, I've got students from Illinois, from Florida, from New Jersey, and each of their experience is very different with what's going on with their students, the type of support that they get, where their students are with disabilities, where they would like to see the services provided for their students with disabilities. And so within each of these states, we have different, not necessarily protocols, but you can have the same child and put them in two different locations and they will have a very different experience. Um, and really that's determined on the least restrictive environment. And again, who's doing the assessments of the school culture, the school philosophy, the school practices of the school teacher. So we have this idea of the least restrictive environment and what that is, is, is it a, the general physical education? Is it a peer supported, some call it a unified physical education? Is it a small adapted PE class, a separate class or a one-on-one? -on -one? And again, you can mix, it could be multiple options depending on the student, again, where they are and what kind of resources and supports are available. So bottom line is for the United States, Physical education is a requirement. Um, there are assessment tools to determine what the best practices are. However, within the United States and given COVID and everything else, you will find that physical education experiences can be quite different depending on the loca locale. So right now we're gonna move on to Canadian context. So just so we can hear, see what's going on. Thanks, Michelle. And so Canada, as you can see here in this visual, is divided into 10 provinces with three very large northern territories that have a lot lower population within those territories. But we don't have a national department of education. So all of our provinces and territories regulate and administer their own education systems. So our curriculum development is the responsibility of each province and territory, and all provinces have their own independent physical and health education curriculum. The three territories do adopt um, neighboring provinces curriculum and don't have anything specific. So for instance, British Columbia, that curriculum is used within the Yukon and the Northwest Territories. But our ministries of education within each province determines a curriculum based on their particular needs, their resources, and the policies. And so the policies um, will be different, and I'll give you a little a bit of information based on each province. And I have experience mainly within Ontario, um, British Columbia, and Alberta. 
But for what physical education actually is, we do see some similarities across Canada. And that's specifically, we teach about the knowledge, the skills, and the attitudes to lead healthy, active lifestyles. And although some provinces combine health and physical education, there are some that do not. And our instructional time for physical education might look different depending on the province itself. And you can see that here within table one. But what we do have in common, again, are some of the ways and content we teach, learning through dance, games, individual activities, and so forth. And table three there just highlights some of the general organizing categories that would be within our curriculum areas. Now, Michelle spoke about the IDEA, which does influence some of the Canadian policies, but Canada specifically has the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms from 1982 that states by law, no discrimination to an individual with a disability or discrimination imposed because of disability is permitted. So all individuals have the right to equal treatment and access. And Canada is also influenced by the United Nations and their specifications that individuals with disabilities might have must have access and equal opportunity to inclusive education systems, including physical education classes. However, our government policies and provisions for each school board and province might look different but they are mandated and required to provide inclusive education. However, inclusion might look different based on the school structure and the school environment. And so our schools are set up um, in either an elementary, junior high or high school settings or elementary and high school. So some provinces have a junior high and others do not. But this really does impact how students with disabilities are included within the education setting. All of our schools do have individualized education plans or program plans. However, physical education and those goals might not be a part of that. That would be very school um, and individual dependent. So we can describe inclusion um, as being on a continuum in Canada. There are classrooms where students are authentically engaged and learn together with the required supports. Some are also in separate classes or separate school settings. So the student placement and those recommendations are influenced by factors within the local context. So this might be uh, funding and the cost in schools, the resources or personnel that's available, staff capacity, um, student needs, and readiness for implementation. So parents and children, though, do have a little bit of autonomy and some choice in some instances, which I think might be unique, um, depending on that setting and environment. So for instance, here in Edmonton, uh, we have one of the largest school districts in the province. And within that school district, there are separate schools, some integrated environments and inclusive environments. And so um, depending on the parents and the, and the child, they might be able to choose whether which school in that context they want their child to go to. And now it does depend on the, those assessments. So a student would have to go through formal protocols and assessments to be diagnosed um, and have that information backing them. But in general, we see a range uh, similar to the U.S. Now, one other uniqueness in Canada I wanted to point out is that 
our physical education teachers within junior high or high school are not required to take an adapted physical education certificate. So they would more so be considered our generalist phys ed teachers. And in elementary school, we don't have necessarily specialists for phys ed. It's our generalist teachers who might take one physical education course within their undergraduate um, degree program. Okay, so we don't have a specific adapted, um, but there are courses within universities and programs that um, our teachers can take. And I will pass it off to Aya. Okay, thank you. Uh, so yeah, I will represent Europe, but as Michelle said, I will more specifically uh, explain some of the uh, dif differences which we have in Europe according uh, some examples from my country, Latvia. So as you can see in the uh, European map, uh, there are countries which uh, probably you are aware that they have a long history of inclusive education. They have uh, great uh, examples of good practice we, have, we can learn from, like countries which were under Soviet Union for many years. And we started to, to implement inclusive education practices only after 1990s. And uh, so, of course, uh, as like Michelle said, you have an uh, idea uh, as a general uh, legislation uh, for students with disability to be included in education. So in Europe, we have also general legislation documents, uh, like, for example, European Pillar of Social Rights indicating that uh, everyone has a right to quality and inclusive education. However, of course, each of those countries in Europe has their own legislation, and that might sometimes be contradictive and sometimes not going together along with uh, uh, legislation, which is um, uh, provided by, by uh, European uh, Commission. And for example, my country, Latvia, as you can see, very small country, is only about 2 million people. And we still have about the same number of special schools we used to have in Soviet Union. However, uh, general education, number of general education settings has uh, decreased. And that actually indicates that we are still very strongly implementing uh, two-way uh, special education programs implemented by uh, special education schools and also uh, by inclusive education programs. And Heli, please, next slide. So next slide, you can see actually a large uh, heterogeneity we have across European countries. Of course, there are many uh, countries listed uh, uh, which probably I will not go in a, into detail, but just showing you that uh, there is a big diversity regarding inclusive education. Like, for example, if you see uh, Sweden here, a very small uh, percentage of students indicated the uh, attending inclusive education. However, over understanding would be that Sweden is actually one of the first countries in Europe which started inclusive education in 1960s. Uh, but of course, knowing uh, more specifically what is going on in Sweden, we know that they have a lot of percent um, of students with disability included in inclusive education and about uh, 
40% of those students didn't receive appropriate assistance and supportive, uh, um, for example, um, supporting staff or adapted uh, education sources. So there are a lot of challenges to implement those legislations which are provided by Europe and also by national ministries in a real uh, setting because uh, over higher education, which we probably will discuss in some of future webinars, how teachers are prepared to work in inclusive education. And regarding physical education in Latvia, we have uh, particularly physical education teacher with a background in physical education since preschool up to high school, which again is very unique. If you look at the other countries in Europe, there are general teachers in the classroom which are providing physical education. And there is a different uh, perspective and, and different maybe also methodology which is used uh, in a content uh, in physical education. Helly, next slide. So looking at the uh, most uh, common challenges across Europe and some of you maybe are aware that in 2010, uh, European Federation of Adapted Physical Activity, we established European standards in adapted physical activity just to see what knowledge, uh, competencies and skills professionals providing adapted physical activity services in education, in sport and in rehabilitation should have in order to address needs of, of people with special needs and particularly uh, students with special education needs in school system. However, we still have challenges to implement those standards across Europe because the professional status, status of adapted physical activity is very limited and only a few countries in Europe have profession related to adapted physical activity. So basically uh, support systems in education institutions, like for example, adapted physical activity teachers or whoever provides adaptations and helps general education teachers in schools is very challenging. And, and of course it's costly, it, it needs specific uh, preparation, it needs maybe in-service training as well, and also adaptation and specific uh, support resources in education setting. Also uh, support effectiveness, uh, like how quickly a school can apply to get teacher assistant, how quickly school can get adapted for example, equipment or alternative communication devices in, in, in order to include child successfully, meaningfully and safely in education in general. And of course, in, for example, in physical education, if someone needs sport wheelchair or someone needs to get into gym, there might be issues because it's uh, like uh, environmental challenges and not all schools which were built, of course, very long time ago during Soviet Union have access to all uh, environmental uh, locations within school building. Also, uh, continuous improvement of qualifications and competences. We are providing in-service teacher training. We are trying to pr promote and to motivate teachers to work in inclusive environment. But again, it's a uh, time demanding, it's a uh, financial demanding, and it's also like, demands teachers to change their attitude, to change their type of way of thinking and to change how they approach um, inclusion as a process, not just like maybe one uh, uh, to one education uh, 
for for students with disability. Of course, financial issues, which are always challenging, especially in countries which are uh, not so well economically uh, developed as maybe in Western Europe. Uh, and also number of professionals and also status of a teacher in a country like in Latvia, Lithuania, in, in our part of region, uh, not all teachers are well paid and this is not very motivational uh, to become a teacher as a professional. So there, there are challenges which are also linked with a professional status of educator or, or teacher in a country. And also development of services, which is uh, uh, to establish uh, what should be included in, uh, for example, in uh, standards or in a service uh, which provides adapted physical activity for students with whatever special education needs. So again, there should be sources provided uh, teaching materials, which are, of course, in a language teachers can understand. We have a lot of materials in, in English, of course, and, and, and but not all teachers also in my country can access and, and use those uh, materials because of language issues. So yeah, this is in short a picture about adapted physical activity and education challenges in my country. But of course, we are trying to see light at the end of the tunnel. And every year we see that more and more children are included in, in uh, general education programs. And this is uh, really uh, nice to see and through different projects, which is again a different topic for future webinars. Uh, we, have, we can uh, communicate with our colleagues in other countries. We can bring teachers together, not just on national level, but in international level. So there are a lot of instruments in the European level we can use to support uh, countries and, and teachers and also researchers, which need a new uh, knowledge and, and maybe not to invest a new wheel, but just learn from other good examples. Okay, so next book. Thank you, Aya. All right, thanks, Aya. Thanks for that um, kind of comprehensive introduction of uh, the situation in Europe. And it's, I feel like the baton's been passed on to me and we are in a, um, in some kind of relay race. So, but having said that, we look like we're ahead of time. So, I'm going to go into a little bit of information about what's happened in Finland. But before I do that, I would also like to add in some of this information about in Europe that one of the biggest challenges that we have in Europe is the language differences. So, for example, collecting data across um, the 28 EU or 27 EU countries, so the European Union countries, there's 27 of them. But for example, I'm currently at the European Youth Olympic Festival and we've got over 46 countries involved. So what do we mean by Europe and, and where are the boundaries and borders of Europe when it comes down to working, collaborating together, uh, getting funding projects together, trying to build and understand ways to improve adaptive physical, physical activity? physical education apologies it's 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 highly it's highly discussed on a regular basis and 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 as as of currently we are also looking at from the ifapa perspective the international federations perspective of which countries belong into which regions as well and europe is also under discussion as well so it, 
it's not an easy picture as it may be in other places where like in the United States where every state speaks the same language of, of English. You know, we've heard from Canada, it's a little bit more complicated again, maybe because of French and, and English. But now we've got many more different countries with different languages. And I experienced this on a day-to-day -day basis, living in Finland, being brought up in, in Britain and having um, uh, Chinese parents that uh, it, what language to use and, and how to use it and, and things like this. So when I mention about data, when we have the European Union that's come together, when they identify that there's a need to get data, it means that there's a big process to translate all of the documentation, all the questions and the protocols that are then culture relevant and also language relevant, but also meet the same needs. So the earlier graphs that I presented, they were from a European project that was only around since uh, in the last 10 years. And so if, before that, we didn't have a collective understanding of what is the percentage of children with special educational needs in the inclusive setting or in a special educational setting, because each country would collect their own data, or maybe some of them didn't. And those that did, it was difficult to understand what does that variable mean? What does that question mean? And, and so there's been, a, you know, in the last few, few years, a more uniform way of having an understanding of collecting some data. And then it makes it easier for it to be translated by documents. And that takes time. So data for me is, is really important for us to understand where, where we have been, where we are and where we're going. And in this example, what you see here in Finland is a graph whereby the orange line, which is well, the orange bars at the bottom, are the actual number of students aged between eight, seven and 18 years old. So in Finland, they start school from the age of seven and they go all the way up to 18 or 19. And you see that the data collected from 1995, there was over 10,000 students in special schools. And you saw that rise a little bit in the peak of 1998, but then there's been a, a, a year on year decrease per se of the number of students that are in special schools. However, when you combine that with the blue lines, so the blue lines are the number of students who've identified special educational needs, special educational support needs, you can see that there's been a, a year on year increase from 1995 all the way up to 2008, 2009. And why is there this green line here? It's because the law changed in Finland with regards to special educational um, needs provisions. And they then adopted a three-tier approach. And they adopted it from some examples from the, from the United States. So it's really good that uh, there's been some leading examples from, from the US. But so this law was then taken into place. And so then we started to see a decrease in a number of children identified to have special educational needs. But then something happened. And I think a lot of people are still asking these questions because from 2014, 2015 onwards, there's been a year on year increase of uh, students who have identified special educational needs, but yet the number of students in special education, special schools has decreased. So overall, overall, in 2020, so this is the latest data that's become um, available for us. And this has come from the Finnish Statistics Office. 
that there's now over 50,000 kids with special educational needs. And so what you see on the right hand side is the way that the education system is broken down. So you've got, we can see that children in basic education, so that would be from the ages of seven to 16, there's 2,130 schools. And then the number of pupils is just, just over half a million with 12% of them receiving what we call intensified support and 9% receiving special support um, in this three tier model. And in addition to that, we still have 61 special educational schools, which serve around 3,500 pupils. When we transition to the next level of education, so this is another thing that we have in, in Europe with, with the educational traditions. We, we Some places may have um, uh, like a, a lower, middle, upper school. Some schools may have a primary, secondary system. Some schools may have an option to transition away from post-16 to, to what they call gymnasium schools or what they might call um, vocational schools. And so in Finland, they have more or less that approach where typically speaking, the students that would have traditionally been considered to consider having an, an, an academic route would go to the general upper secondary schools and they would then be able to go, be eligible to go to university directly. And then you have students that would go to vocational schools and you can see it's almost double the number of students that go to general upper secondary schools and they would choose a specific route that would lead to a vocation. So it would lead them directly to the job industry or uh, and, and coaching is one of them. So working in sports is one of them or they then might then take further studies to then be eligible to go to university. And under the special vocational colleges, there's six of them around in the country. So all the kids that need uh, special educational support post-16 go to one of these special vocational colleges. And the age range of those students are between 15 and 55. And, um, and that serves about 5,750 students. So what it means is that when we provide physical education for for children um, in the general schools and the special school situation, it's, it's, it's quite similar to what, what you have in the US and what we've heard in Canada and in, and in Europe. Okay, every country has their own slight differences, but the provisions um, and, and, um, and support remains pretty much the same. When it gets to plus 16, it's more, there's a lot more life skills based activity there. Now they are still doing physical activity and physical education, but the age range is very vast. And of course it depends on the support needs and, and therefore the actual provision for physical education can vary so much more. And one of the luxuries, luxuries that we have in, in Finland is, the, is being close to nature and being able to use excessive um, assi assistive devices and assistive technologies to go out and do physical activities and, physical and do physical education lessons in nature. Uh, and and that's some of the things that we do in, in Finland. I'd just like to point your attention as vice president of the European Federation of Adaptive Physical Activity that we have the last call for late breaking abstracts on the 30th of March. So that's uh, eight days time, nine days time, um, whereby um, we're, this is an in-person conference. It is in Portugal, which is the closest point to the Americas that you can get in Europe, pretty much. 
depends if you're Irish or tall or not. But anyway, um, this is, uh, you can see there's four different areas. There is inclusive physical education being the main thematic area. And then we've got other areas such as social values and recreation, leisure and re rehabilitation, physical activity and exercise for health and well-being, and excellence in disability sports. And um, if you go to the their website, or if you Google uh, UCAPA 2022, you can find that information. You can also get more information from the European Federation website, which is ufapa2022.eu. And these late break and abstracts will also be available for oral or poster presentations. So don't think it's only left for poster presentations. Please have a look at that. And just, to, just before we get to discussions, and maybe this is a good point, uh, one of the things that when we were when 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 Michelle approached us for this, I was thinking this is wonderful, really really good. And I mean, uh, with my IFAPA hat, I've been interacting with Michelle as well about how IFAPA and NICPED may be able to communicate better and share resources. And and the IFAPA has been really good to have this common practice as well. And we were thinking that you know that let's not let this not be just a one-off, you know, let's see if there's any appetite that we would be able to continue on. As I has mentioned, it would be really good for, well, we've got uh, examples of higher education practices that we have in, in for pre-service and in-service training opportunities that we will be happy to share and also like to hear from you. So it becomes a, 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 a you know, sharing exercise between two places. There's also, of course, in terms of research, the conversations about possible research collaborations, what's hot at the moment. There's a new Euro European project that we're involved in, that I and myself are involved in, and there's possibilities for network building there. But we're also interested in other ideas. So I think it's on to the next slide. And I think there's something in the chat where people can, can put in some of their ideas for that. So back to you, Michelle. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Quat. That was excellent. Um, so what I'd like to do now, we also have our NICP conference. Don't forget about that. It isn't face-to-face. -face, it is virtual and it's on July 14th to 16th. So call for proposals open and they will close March 28th. So again, we invite our European colleagues to be a part of this and particularly since it's remote, um, low cost too, to be a part of the NICPED, um, the NICPED conference. So as of this point, um, yeah, let's, we'll stop sharing. And what I want to do is A, thank my international colleagues. And I appreciate you all um, following us. I was looking at the maps and finding Latvia in this very small country and this area that I'm like Belarus and Russia and everything else. So in addition to what's going on in physical education, as we started this um, a session, this collaborative, we talked about what's going on on a greater scale, of course, um, the war in Ukraine. But some of the overlap that I took oh, from our colleagues now, and that we'll open it up for discussion is um, what counts as physical education is very different across contexts. Um, so whether it's European context, or whether it's the United States context, and even within each of these countries, it's going to be different. So that was one point. Um, who are who is providing these uh, physical education experiences in Canada? Elementary classrooms, not so much physical education teachers. So teacher training then becomes a big part of um, the issue. What kind of training do our teachers get? And I know within the United States we have that as well. Who provides those services? So those are overlapping um, issues. Language 
the, the United States can be also a very, it's a very heterogeneous country. So we're gonna have mixed languages, gonna have first generation learners here. We have that as well in Europe more so. Um, Quack, I'm impressed how many language. I am listening to Aya and I'm like, this girl knows how to speak our language. How many of us know how to speak a language other than um, English? So again, Europeans have a little bit broader context with those borders and those porous walls. And then COVID on top of it has certainly impacted, we're coming out of it, but it impacted our practices. So we have those overlapping features. And that's really all I wanna say and took from this conversation. And right now, I think if you wanna raise your hand or you wanna ask any of the presenters questions or have share your comments or thoughts, this is a great opportunity for us to just connect. So open for discussion right now if anybody has a question and Barry I see you came on your, your mute button came off so I know you got a question for us. So you talked a little bit about I think one of the questions that I have is who qualifies for services because you know like in America uh, under idea you have to be one of these 13 disabilities and uh, you were showing like the graph of uh, population went up and down and and so how do they determine who qualifies for service and who is special ed? Like in America, we have these, you have to be one of these 13 disabilities. And, and over the years, we got better at, at uh, identifying uh, students with certain disabilities and, and the numbers would go up. Can you talk a little, can the, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I or Kwok, do you want to take that? Uh, maybe I just, yeah, I can share experience from my country. We still have a very medical approach. Uh, in Latvia, we have what we call Medical Pedagogical Commission, which is a kind of a interdisciplinary commission, in, including uh, teachers, uh, psychologists, uh, maybe sometimes some medical professional, and uh, family doctor usually... Uh, kind of prescribes those uh, services uh, to, uh, to attend commission for child before he or she's starting school. In Latvia, school uh, children starting at the age of seven. So actually by age of five, because it's like preschool is also part of general education. And uh, yeah, it's uh, quite uh, medical, which is not the uh, best um, example in Europe. I know in other countries, maybe maybe Quark will have another experience from Finland, but yeah, we are still thinking how to change this medical approach. And that's why we have still a, a special education system according medical uh, groups like kids with intellectual disability, kids with visual impairment uh, schools for kids. Like we have nine special education programs, which are structured according medical diagnosis. Kwok, do you want to address that? Is there anything you want to add? Yeah, just um, so there is a, a movement to try to move to go past the medical diagnosis. But of course, it takes a, quite a lot of time for acceptance and to get it right. Now, what we have in Finland is, and it's, I think it's quite similar in, in, in ways of it's, it's to do with the language more than anything else. And the qualification is one thing, but it's then it's the choice of the parent is another thing. So um, so if you mean the first level of the, at least the qualification for the parent to make the choice, then there are, you know, it's, it's easier to say if you've got this medical type of condition to, to easily qualify for that. But then there's 
um, other assessments that people may have from either a psychiatrist or whether it's from a doctor or something, or even a, a learning specialist. And each school, uh, especially when they're identified younger, it's easier. It's when they're slightly older that then they, they transition to one of those special educational settings because of their um, delay in, in learning, then, then that may give them the opportunity to, to do that if they would then would then choose to do so. But for example, other types of disorders may, uh, like emotional disorders, may be something that, uh, that could be common and, and popular or delayed development. And these things, they might not be from a doctor, but it will be evidence from the education. And then, of course, it's the choice of the parents, whether they choose to, to put, allow their child to be in a, in a special education school, if they have one available in the country, if they are in a special education class in a general school or whether they are part of the general school. Um, and then I, there's then there's the actual teachers who then may may choose for specific lessons to be in, in separated uh, areas, but still within a integrate. Well, probably what um, has been used, I think I was attending another one where we would use like an integrated approach rather than what would be regarded as inclusive approach. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so, a lot. I, and I just want, I, Terry, you're on, and that has to be, you have to be double, triple, sank, five, four, nine, seven, eight. Is that you about <laughs> infusion? And because um, this has been part of something that you've said, you just want to speak or address that comment? Oh, yeah. Uh, can y'all hear me? I have had trouble with my ear pods. Anyway, I'm just uh, begging the question. Um, if you take your physical education, teacher education program and infuse it with what we would have as an adapted PE credential, uh, and I know the administrative issues you're going to tell me about units and all that for graduation, but just imagine this. You merge what you know the best practices are for adapted PE and merge it into general PE. You know, you'll have to tweak your curriculum a little bit so you don't over do units, but it actually it, it, a lot of the information is going to be the same and you're going to enhance the quality of the education of your general physical educators, as well as offer opportunities for people who specialize in adaptive PE. It, it's, a, it's, it's a model that we talked about back in, well, I remember as a student uh, back in 1980 um, that we never, about infusing information in the core curriculum, got it. But what about changing the culture of your PEED program? Um, because you know the issues between inclusion and the best place for people, it's all there. But imagine if every general physical educator walked out of your program with the skill set to accommodate uh, a variety of abilities across the spectrum. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Thank you for the time and good job preparing this. Thank you, Terry. Other comments or thoughts or questions for um, Terry's got her hand up. Hi, um, I'm joining you from Northern Minnesota, and I have a couple things I want to address. One is when we're talking about criteria for assessment. Um, in Minnesota, we have a DAPE criteria. We call it Developmentally Adapted Physical Education, so it's called DAPE, not APE. And our criteria has a Part A and a Part B, and our Part A has, of course, categorical qualifications. But some of those categorical qualifications are like other health impairments. What we really look at is what, 
how is a student learning the general curriculum? If there is a, something that is not allowing them to access the general curriculum, then we as a team can go to part B and we can come up with evidence, uh, whether it be uh, medical reports, parents' interviews, school documentation that will allow us as a team to decide that student qualifies for adapted physical education. So we really look at it as a two-part piece and then also, again, as a team, like many of the other professionals have said. Talking about the, the PEAT program, um, in Minnesota, I run a adapted physical education licensure program that's completely online. Uh, my in-service teachers are out teaching in various places in Minnesota and they come back and they add their DAPE license onto their K-12. So it's a very nice mesh because they're out working in the field, experiencing education while learning. And it works well because of time and money for most students. And one of our sister universities here in Minnesota um, also has just implemented a physical education DAPE major. So you will get both of those at the same time. That's a face-to-face -face course. Um, because it would have undergrads in that. And Haley knows I'm writing fast and furious on my program. Um, Haley sits on my PhD committee. <laughs> so um, that's the research that I'm doing right now is looking at what we're asking our DAPE teachers to do in Minnesota to gain that license. Is that what they need to know when they get out and teach? And so hopefully I'll have some good research to share shortly. Thanks. Thank you, Sherry. Sounds like you're doing some great things over there. And um, I appreciate, Amanda, I hope I haven't undone you, but I like the UDL piece as well as a great way to infuse um, training to teachers about how to create a program so that children can access. Access is the big word that we're always looking at. How, do you, how does a student access the curriculum? And you know what happens that. So UDL is a uh, set of concepts that hopefully can embed it, be embedded within teacher education. How about, uh, can we hear from anybody else before we've got a minute left? Any comments or thoughts or moving forward directions, collaborations? I just find it interesting learning about the other continents and countries and adaptive PE. And it sounds so broad. And yet, even in the Americas, state to state, we don't have consistency. We In California, we don't really have qualifications per se. I, I'm sure some counties and some districts do, but those of you in Wisconsin and other states, you do things a lot differently. So it is interesting, the diversity across even just our own states. Yeah. So... I want to thank our presenters and our panel and um, for offering this global perspective. And we also want to recognize our colleagues in Ukraine and in Poland and Latvia who are supporting all of our colleagues. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. Our next NICPEED APE collaborative for April will be on the 22nd. It'll be 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central and noon Eastern time. We will have uh, Drs. Justin Hagel uh, from Old Dominion and Dr. Yoon from East Carolina University. 
They'll be co-presenting on selecting doctoral programs in uh, APE, APA. And also we will do a breakout room a Zoom discussion as well, where we can talk about hot topics. So Drs. Hagel and Yoon will discuss uh, selecting doctoral programs for um, 15 minutes, and then we will jump into breakout rooms uh, then for 15 minutes as well, where we have a chance to talk about what's going on uh, in your region, in your area. So that is what is in store for April. As always, you can, uh, you can view the recording of this session on Facebook and it will be posted to the What's New and Adapted PE podcast. And if anybody wants to reach out to any of our European colleagues, I know Quack put up, how do we collaborate? Please feel free to reach out um, to everyone. But again, thank you um, for hosting our membership committee. Thank you for sponsoring this. And I hope everybody has a wonderful day. Appreciate what we've done today and what we all continue to do as a group, as an organization, and as a profession. So thanks. And I hope you all have a good one.